Hello, and welcome to the Nutrition Diva Podcast. I'm your host, Monica Reinagle, and today we're talking about soy. Now, soy is one of those foods that seems to have an equal number of equally ardent proponents and detractors. Proponents tout soy as helping to prevent osteoporosis, heart disease, even hot flashes. Detractors, on the other hand, warn that soy might bring on early puberty, feminize men, damage your thyroid, and prevent nutrient absorption. So today, we're going to take a look at the claims on both sides of the soy debate, as well as questions about the healthiest types of soy. And at the end of the episode, I'll have some recommendations for you on including soy in your diet. Soybeans are a member of the legume family, and all legumes are good sources of plant-based protein as well as fiber. But soybeans have some unique qualities that elevate them above other beans. Unlike most plant-based protein sources, soy is a complete protein containing all nine of the essential amino acids. Soybeans are also particularly rich in isoflavones. These are compounds with a variety of biological effects, and many of the health claims that you see for soy are centered around these isoflavones. Another thing that sets soy apart from other beans is the following FDA-approved health claim. Diets that include 25 grams of soy protein a day and are also low in fat and cholesterol may reduce the risk of heart disease. However, this claim has recently come under scrutiny. The FDA approved the heart health claim for soy way back in 1999, and at that time they cited significant scientific agreement on the issue. However, in 2017, the FDA announced that they'd reevaluated the research on soy and heart disease and didn't find it as convincing as it originally appeared. As a result, a proposal to revoke this health claim was introduced, pending a period of public comment. The debate over the science continues, and a final ruling on the health claim has not yet been reached, but it's expected in early 2021. Now, for the soy foods industry, the heart health claim is a valuable marketing tool that also confers a sort of health halo over all soy foods. But the real impact of soy food consumption on heart disease risk in Western countries is somewhat questionable. For one thing, few Westerners are consuming anywhere near the amount of soy protein that some, but not all, studies have found to be preventive. In general, it'll take you about four servings of whole soy foods, such as soy milk, tofu, or edamame, to get to 25 grams of soy protein. With a more concentrated form, like a soy protein powder, it takes a lot less. Now, also keep in mind that the heart health claim for soy also stipulates that your diet be low in fat and cholesterol. So about the best we can say for soy and heart health is that eating quite a bit of soy in the context of a healthy diet might offer a modest reduction in your heart disease risk. Many of the other health claims for soy are related to women's health issues, but guys, keep listening because this next part relates to you as well. It's been suggested that eating more soy can help prevent osteoporosis, breast cancer, and hot flashes. After all, it has been observed that Asian women who eat a lot more soy than Western women don't seem to suffer from these things nearly as much as we do. Of course, there are a lot of differences between Asian and Western women that could potentially explain this, such as environment, genetics, lifestyle, or other aspects of diet. And these are what we call confounding factors. 
And researchers do their best to account for them when they are analyzing the data, but you can only account for the confounders that you know about, and you never know about them all. Nonetheless, the soy theory is plausible because the isoflavones I mentioned before are phytoestrogens, plant compounds that happen to be shaped very similar to the human hormone estrogen. In fact, they're close enough that they can actually fit into estrogen receptors in human cells. Now, osteoporosis, hot flashes, and breast cancer, these are all closely linked to estrogen activity in the body, either too much or too little. And the thought is that these weaker plant estrogens or phytoestrogens might protect you from either scenario. So if your estrogen levels were too low, isoflavones might provide just enough estrogenic activity to prevent bone loss or hot flashes. On the other hand, if estrogen levels are too high, which might increase your risk of breast cancer, those same phytoestrogens could help block excess estrogen from entering your cells by occupying those estrogen receptors and causing your cells to turn on the no vacancy sign. Although it's an interesting theory, it's been tough to confirm. Some studies have found that eating soy or taking isoflavones as a supplement helps to improve bone density, but some found that it didn't. Likewise, in terms of hot flashes, soy helps some women but not others, and incidentally, it seems to be much more effective in reducing hot flashes if you also exercise. It's also important to note that the studies that did observe a benefit involved consuming pretty high amounts of soy or taking higher dosages of isoflavin supplements. As with the heart health claim, the best we can say is that high soy or isoflavin consumption combined with a healthy lifestyle might have a modest beneficial impact, or it might have no impact at all. Fortunately, we have a little bit more clarity on the effects of phytoestrogens on breast cancer risk. Studies show that soy intake seems to protect healthy women from getting breast cancer, although it appears that this effect is greater when soy is regularly consumed from a young age. For a long time, however, researchers were concerned about the effects of soy phytoestrogens on women who had already had breast cancer or even were at high risk of it. And the worry was that the phytoestrogens in soy foods might promote the growth of estrogen-sensitive cancer cells. Up until pretty recently, breast cancer patients were often advised to avoid soy food just out of an abundance of caution because we just weren't sure. However, there's now compelling evidence to show that eating soy foods not only poses no risk to breast cancer survivors, it appears to be beneficial, actually reducing the risk of recurrence. And that's both estrogen receptor positive and estrogen receptor negative breast cancers. Okay, guys, are you still with me? If so, you may be wondering how the phytoestrogens in soy might affect you. It's a good question. Men have estrogen receptors too. And in fact, there are some concerns about how the estrogenic compounds in soy might affect men. For example, some fear that eating too much soy could affect fertility or sexual function. And indeed, scientists have found that giving large amounts of phytoestrogens to animals can indeed affect their fertility. However, human research has failed to detect any negative effects of soy consumption on male hormone levels or fertility. Meanwhile, soy consumption has been associated with a reduced risk of prostate cancer. So there's that. 
There are similar concerns about eating soy during pregnancy or giving soy formula to babies. The idea here is that babies, both in the womb and out, are extremely sensitive to hormones and that phytoestrogens could possibly affect their development. Now, of course, Asian women have been eating soy throughout their pregnancies and while they nursed their children for centuries without apparent difficulty. Soy baby formula is a somewhat newer development, however, and some have expressed concerns about the effects of isoflavones in infants. I think we can all agree that human breast milk is by far the optimal food for babies. Sometimes, however, breastfeeding is not an option. And for babies who have an allergy to cow's milk, soy formula can be a lifesaver. A 2014 meta-analysis evaluated growth patterns, reproductive hormones, immune and neurological functions, and found no significant differences in infants who were given soy formula. And researchers have also looked for a link between soy intake and early puberty in boys or girls. One survey of about 250 boys found that those who had the highest consumption of soy reported reaching puberty about six months on average earlier than those who ate the least soy. However, all of the groups were well within the normal range for the onset of puberty. Another study by the same author involving almost 350 girls found that there was no relationship between the amount of soy they reported consuming and the age at which they reached puberty. Another widely repeated charge against soy is that it disrupts thyroid function. And in fact, studies overwhelmingly show that it has minimal, if any, effect on thyroid function in human beings, except if they are deficient in iodine. Iodine deficiency is pretty rare, thanks to our iodized salt supply, so I don't think this is a major concern for most of us. And finally, if you've read any of the anti-soy manifestos online, you've probably also come across the claim that soy contains anti-nutrients, which sounds very sinister indeed. And in fact, there are compounds in soybeans called phytates, which can impair your ability to absorb certain minerals. This isn't unique to soy, however. Spinach, for example, contains compounds called oxalates, which do the same thing. And people don't go around talking as if spinach were a vegetable from the dark side. Really, this is not a big deal if you're eating soy in reasonable quantities as part of a nutritious diet. In fact, phytates have been found to have several beneficial effects in the body. Now, if you ferment soybeans, or any legume really, it removes or deactivates many of the phytates. Fermented soy foods include miso, tempeh, natto, and soy sauce, and many consider these to be the ideal way to consume soy. Fermented foods, of course, are also a source of probiotic bacteria. And as is the case really with any food, minimally processed soy products, which would also include soy milk and tofu, retain more of the beneficial nutrients than more highly processed forms of soy, such as the isolates that are used in bars and meat substitutes. So should you eat soy or not? Well, in my view, both the benefits and the risks of soy tend to be exaggerated. Soy is a good source of protein, fiber, and isoflavones, and including soy foods in a balanced and healthy diet may reduce your risk of some diseases. And unless you're allergic to it, it's unlikely to cause any harm. In other words, it might help and it can't hurt. And as with any food, the more minimally processed, the better. 
Soy-based supplements contain much more concentrated amounts of isoflavones than you'd ever get from soy foods. And I think it's a good idea to check in with your healthcare professional before starting any nutritional supplement, because they can really help you evaluate whether or not this supplement is likely to provide the particular benefit that you're hoping for. And they can also advise you on a safe and appropriate dosage for you. As always, we've got a transcript of today's show on our website at quickanddirtytips.com, and you'll also find links to a lot of the research that I discussed today, as well as a bunch of related Nutrition Diva episodes. And because you obviously enjoy listening to podcasts, I wanted to make sure you knew about the new podcast that I'm doing with Brock Armstrong, also known as the Get Fit Guy. Our new podcast is called The Change Academy, and it's all about how to create lasting positive change in your life. You'll find it wherever you listen. I hope you'll check it out. If you have a nutrition question or a suggestion for a future episode topic, you can email me at nutrition at quickanddirtytips.com or call the Nutrition Diva listener line at 443-961-6206 and leave me a message. I would love to hear from you. Our show is produced by Nathan Sands. It's edited by Karen Hertzberg. And our team at Macmillan Audio also includes Emily Miller, Michelle Margulis, Morgan Ratner, and our director, Kathy Doyle. Thanks so much for listening. Have a great week. Oh,